championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello and welcome to 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside this week by Jacob Dedimore and Mr. Matt Craig. Matthew Craig, Matt, Matthew, it says Matthew on the on the Zoom call here that everybody in the podcast can see. Hi there, one. Uh, people call me Craig sometimes, so. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. Yeah, so welcome to the show, Matt. Uh, we appreciate you hopping on with us on short notice. Uh yeah, I'm trying to trying to just trying to go through all the Barking Carnival people who've ever written sure. for, for Barking Carnival. You wrote one article. Just hop on our show. We're good. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for hopping on. Today we're going to be talking about uh, the past half of the Texas football season. Talk about how we feel about where Texas is, where Steve Sarkeesian is, and what we've seen so far in the Steve Sarkeesian era. Through it's not half a season, but is it? It's half a season so far, kind of, sort of, more or less. What do we think about this team specifically? What do we want to see going forward? And what should expectations be after the past two weeks? Now, there's a reason we haven't been on air for, was it, a, almost a week, two weeks now? We need a break. We need a good, long, just a mental health break. Texas was on a bye. We could take a bye, too. That's that's how I felt. They needed to, to heal and heal their wounds, and you know, get get healthy for the next game. And uh, we had to uh, rest the liver, right? <laughs> rest a lot of things. The liver being one of them. True. So we're also going to do that and talk about the Baylor game coming up tomorrow. So yeah, guys, how do we feel about Steve Sarkeesian? It's been uh, what seven games so far. We've really gotten a feel of C. Sarkeesian. How do we feel about what he has done so far this year? Well, I felt uh, really good until Arkansas kicked off. <laughs> so right. I guess he had the proverbial, you know, one game honeymoon. But uh, overall, feeling good. But, um, you know, there's definitely some trepidation there with, with a lot of these outcomes lately, especially in, of course, that Arkansas game. You know, from my perspective, uh, I'm fine with Sarkeesian so far. Um, of course, I'm not happy with uh, the last couple of games result-wise. Uh, nobody is. But I see what he's doing, and I see kind of what he's trying to build. And I like the overall big picture of how he sees the program and how he wants to take this program forward especially offensively. Defensively, I've still got some questions, but I can see what Pete Kwiatkowski is trying to do defensively, and it's just going to take time. I think a lot of Texas fans, generally speaking, are drastically underestimating the lack of talent that Texas actually has, especially at certain positions. And that that talent deficiency is as big a reason as anything for why Texas has struggled where they have, and especially why in the last two games things have happened the way they have. Texas fans in general need to look at what's happened so far and don't just look at the results of the games, and honestly don't even look at how the results of the games came about. You need to look at, at, at what's causing it. 
we talked about, you and I will talked about going into the season that we knew that this offensive line was a weakness and that how this offensive line played in many ways was going to determine how Texas season ended up. And while their other weaknesses have been exposed, the offensive line has been a weakness when they've played solid football, not even just from game to game, but from half to half. Texas has done very well offensively when they haven't. And those weaknesses have been exposed. They've gotten their asses whipped uh, by opposing defenses. And, you know, that that is going to take time to fix because there there just wasn't talent on this roster to try and fix that this year. You're going to have to scheme around it and do the best that you could. And I think Sarkeesian is doing that. He's made mistakes. Sarkeesian has, I believe. But I think a lot of the problems have just been him trying to scheme around the deficiencies he's had on that side of the ball. I mean, I can get into the defensive stuff here in a minute. The, the talent deficiency is an issue on that side of the ball as well. But I think it's been as much injury related as it has been a talent issue. Yeah, and that's a good point. I kind of wanted to bring this up last week, but we didn't have a show. A lot of the talent issues that fans are worried about, it's not that Texas doesn't have talent. They have a lot of talent and some really, really good players. Unfortunately, it's not spread out throughout the entire roster. That's exactly the point I'm going to make. They it's they don't have a talent issue. They have a a depth issue at certain spots, and that has a lot to do with the, the recruiting classes. Now, Texas, obviously, they get those top five recruiting classes every single year, right? But nobody really looks when they look at those top five classes and everybody's like, oh, well, Texas has top five classes every year. Why do they keep on failing? It's more a fact that the recruiting classes don't answer the quote-unquote questions of the class. Like, think about last year. Yeah, Texas was a top 10 class. But who was the five stars that they signed? A tight end. Texas already has like 10 tight ends, right? They needed a defensive end. The guy is supposedly a defensive end, but he's not going to. They they needed offensive line. How many offensive line did they get? Two. You know, they needed defensive ends last year. They didn't get any. So in any wide receivers, when they lost their two best wide receivers, how many did they get? They instead lost Quentin Johnston. It's a continuous issue with them not answering questions in the recruiting game. Yes, they're getting great players, but they're also just getting them at the positions they already have. Running back, cornerback, defensive line, not defensive end, defensive interior. And they're missing out on pieces where they need them, especially this year, like safety, linebacker, offensive line, and wide receiver. So you're compounding that issue going forward. And Steve Sarkeesian, to his credit, when he sees an issue, he's been willing to tinker with it, unlike what we've seen for the past two staffs. We've already seen them try to tinker with his offensive line. We've already seen them try to tinker with the defensive backfield. We've seen them try to tinker with the linebackers. We've seen them try to tinker with the defensive line, although I'd like to tinker them to tinker a little bit more in a certain direction. But they're at least trying different things, which is something that we haven't seen before. They're not trying to bash their heads against the wall with a certain group of guys and say, this is what we're going to do. Week in, week out, these are the guys. So I've liked that so far about the Steve Sarkeesian era. That's kind of what we were hoping out of Steve Sarkeesian is a guy who was able to see his own weaknesses and able to see the strengths and play to those and try to minimize the weaknesses by 
either finding out something different and not in the last very very last game of the season, but earlier on. And going back to the uh, talent issue and the just go back to those 2018, 2019 recruiting classes and just look at those offensive linemen and defensive linemen in those classes and how many of those guys just didn't pan out. How many of them have left? How many of them have medically retired? It's just, yeah, you could sign four and five star guys all the you know, the whole period, but if they don't pan out or they don't get any better when they step on campus, then that's an issue. One more note on what we like so far about the Steve Sarkeesian era. Is there anything right now that's kind of standing out there like, wow, I'm really enjoying this about the Steve Sarkeesian teams? I mean, I'm loving the what he's doing from an offensive scheme standpoint. I wish he would stick with certain things more. I think that's been part of the problem in the last two losses is he's gone away from things that are working whether it's because he's anticipating adjustments or you know whether it's just he I you know I don't know even Sarkeesian said in his presser on Monday that he thinks he's made some mistakes in the last couple games as a play caller maybe going away from things when he shouldn't have Um, and he and he said himself and he made a little bit of this as coach speak but he himself even said he needs to be better uh, in the second half of games and how he's he's calling things. But what I do like so far is I, I am a big fan of the scheme that he's brought over from Alabama. Um, I really think conceptually it is a scheme that can work not only in the short term, but also in the long term. It's a scheme that builds off of itself and doesn't rely on, okay, this worked, now we're going to go to this play and see if it works. It's a, it's a scheme that, that likes to build, and it's also a scheme that, if you have the the players you want in place to run it, it's a scheme that can expose defensive weaknesses and take advantage of them. So I'm I'm definitely a big fan of what he's doing there so far, and you know his reputation kind of speaks for itself. And I think, you know, offensively especially, we're already seeing this to an to an extent. He's going to attract players here. Um, the question is, is how fast is he going to be able to do it? And you know, the main thing you talked about, it's offensive line. He needs, that's going to take some time and uh, they're probably going to have to play the transfer portal game. I think again, this off season to try and get that thing up, up to snuff. But uh, I think eventually it's going to come. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of upset. They didn't play that off the line transfer portal a little harder last off season. I think it could have fixed some things this year, but to that point with the offensive, you know, scheme that he's brought, it's nice to see a coach that you bring in, like whether it's for the defensive side of the ball, or the offensive side of the ball, who immediately steps on and improves the team. I mean, we're about to talk about it with uh, with Baylor and Jeff Grimes, but you know, it's nice to have an offensive coach and have your offense not suck, <laughs> or have a defensive coach and not have your defense suck. It's nice to be able to be comfortable in the fact that okay, this guy knows what he's doing on this side of the ball, on his side of the ball. What you know, we just have to figure out the other side of the ball, and also it's not gimmicky. You know, we're not running a hundred times a, or you know, running a hundred plays a game or you know, seven seconds or less offense. We're not you know running no route uh, offenses like the Art Burrell's offenses. And everything it's not gimmicky. It can be you know like Jacob was saying, built on. It can go somewhere from here other than just relying on pure gimmicks. It's sustainable and repeatable. I think is the best way I can describe what he does offensively. Yeah. Any other things, Matt? Anything else you like? I uh, love all the pre-snap movement. Um, I know he mentioned earlier this week, you know, he liked to get back more and do that more, but uh, 
I'm a big fan of um, showing the defense one thing and then doing another. And that's, and then like Jacob was saying, you know, you can, you can run one play, then you can run a variation of five or six different plays off of that. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to have our own Lincoln Riley of sorts, right? Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, 2019 uh, Jalen hurts in the cotton bowl, you know, he, he had his limitations as a quarterback, but I just remember all day CD Lamb was just wide open because Lincoln Riley was scheming open. I think Sark can do the same things with um, our receivers. Right. Yeah. It's it's nice to have a guy, and I've been saying this all year long so far on the show, complimentary play calling where you're right. You, you show one thing and you go the other way, or you show one thing over and over and over again till the defense bites on that, and then you take it the other way. Or you throw something else at them. You kind of play – Play with tendency. You play against tendency is what I meant to say. So, again, yeah, we like Steve Sarkeesian as a play caller. We like so far the ideas that he's bringing to this program. Uh, I, I do, I mean, if we're going to go back all the way to the offseason, I like the fact that he went out and got some of these great coaches that were out here. Uh, and I think we're potentially going to start seeing it in the recruiting field. It really sucks that they lost against Oklahoma State because – that would have been a game that really kind of kicked off recruiting since everybody was there. <laughs> and that was a very unfortunate loss. But we're not going to dwell on these things right now. Well, maybe we are because what right so far with the Steve Sarkeesian era has kind of been troubling you about what we've seen so far through seven games? I mean, I guess I would like to see especially in-game, uh, within halves, maybe a little bit better adjustment to what's happening on the field at the time. Now, that's mainly on defense, uh, more than offense, but it's been an issue in the second halves of offense on offense the last two games as well, as we've seen. That'd be the one nitpick, I could say. I mean, I really think that the talent issues are, are the bigger problem, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, that, that'd be my my one nitpick thing. I mean, we're only seven games into this thing, you know, into, into his coaching tenure. And, you know, if you really look at the team, you know, the limitations that Texas has. And, you know, I, this team is a a couple of plays in two games, in a couple of games from being five and one or being six and one instead of being four and three. Stop. You've heard that one before. Well, I, yeah, I know, but I'm just, what I'm saying is I think despite the numbers that people, the, you know, the, the end of ending results of the games and the numbers, I think, uh, the team is a lot closer than people realize and they just need to find a way to break through. You know, the one thing that concerns me is the quarterback situation. I, it's just weird. I'm not a Casey guy. I'm not a card guy. You know, I'm not, I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to who's playing. I just want to win, but, um, yeah, it was weird that uh, Card got replaced after Arkansas and basically hasn't had a chance since then. Um, even though Casey has struggled with some spots that, you know, traditionally it might have been pulled. But, um, yeah, it's been a little weird. Um, but, you know, I keep telling myself that I'm not sitting there at practice every day and not getting paid, you know, millions of dollars to figure this out either. So Sark knows what he's doing. And you know, I trust him going forth that he knows what's best for the team. The quarterback situation has been a little bit weird, but I, I really, I mean, the only time I can think of where he may have thought about pulling Casey might have been somewhere in the fourth quarter of that Oklahoma State game. And with what was happening in that game, I don't know if Hudson Card does anything to help you there. 
not with what I've seen from Hudson in the first, what I saw from him in the first two games. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't, I just don't know if he would have, he would have helped you with what was happening on the field that day. Well, Casey was potentially hurt in that game. I mean, we don't know, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a bunch of what ifs, but if we're looking at this from a, taking a step back and looking at it from a program wide and what Steve Sarkeesian is so far, uh, Steve Sarkeesian came to, came to Austin with a nickname, right? Seven win Sark. And I, I think, I think he had some different nicknames that were probably more apropos and he's corrected those issues in his personal life. No, so. no, no. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're talking, we're talking PC names here. Okay. Seven win yeah. Sark. We'll stick with that one. All right. I, uh, but, I, I guess I don't think of that as a nickname for him because his head coaching stints are have been a few years removed, right? And he was and he was drinking constantly during them. True, but <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian does not have a great record right now against ranked teams. And I brought up this point. I think it was either after the Rice game or after the Arkansas game where I said. All right, we know we have a guy who is very, very technical. He know he he's very much into the details of the game, and it, I'm worried if this guy will hit a certain point where you know if there's a guy who's just a better tactical genius than he is, then he's not going to be able to out chess him. He doesn't have either the, the emphasis on toughness or something. He's more emphasizing on speed and tactics rather than toughness. So it's something different in this game. And Steve Sarkeesian over his career is 11 and 20 versus ranked opponents and one in five against top five opponents. That one game being a win in 2009 when Washington defeated number three USC. So he has struggled against good teams. And we have seen that so far this season in Arkansas. Even then it's, Okay, no, but they're, you, okay, they're right I, now. I, let me stop you for a second, Will. If you're going to bring up that number, you can't just completely discount what he did as an offensive coordinator. Okay, I, I I'm sorry, that's not fair to to say it's one way as a head coach, but to completely discount performances his offenses have had when he was a coordinator of those offenses. But he's not leading the team. He's not running the team. He's, he's an offensive offense. coordinator under Nick Saban. I mean, well, he was also an offensive coordinator at USC is, as well. I, I, sure. I, I'm saying you have to you have to look at the whole. You can't just look, you can't don't be selective about it. Well, are we gonna bring in Tom Herman's career as a as an offensive coordinator when we're looking at his head coaching career? I I don't yeah, I don't because, agree with that. Yeah, point. because people did bring in his that people did exactly that when talking about him getting hired at Texas. They didn't just talk about what he did at Houston. They talked about what he did as an offensive coordinator at USC or at Ohio State. Excuse me. Um, it, it, it's it's all one thing. It's not it's not just only as a head coach or only as an offensive coordinator. It's all one big package. Well, here is why I brought Matt Craig on the show. Matt, give us the tie-breaking vote here. Who wins? Well, I hate to ride the fence, but um, you know, I think it's remained to be seen what kind of head coach Sark is going to be in this, you know, Sark 2.0 or 3.0, whatever you want to call it. Um, is he going to be the kind of Lincoln Rally head coach where he stays on offense only and doesn't never enters the defensive team meeting rooms, or is he going to be more of a kind of a program manager and get involved with you know defensively uh, 
uh, you know, not specific plays, but you know, just the general direction of the defense game plan. Yeah, um, yeah, that's remained to be seen as far as I've seen. You're right. This is a different Steve Sarkeesian too, and so hopefully. Well, no, but I mean, I it is a completely he's a different man now than he was as a head coach the first time around. You know, he's com- his life is completely different now. And, you know, that that is also something that kind of has to be factored into it is that, you know, he's a different person now. We don't you're it, time, it, it's just going to be one of those time will tell kind of things um, mm-hmm. as far as that goes. But, yeah, I mean, you said Sark 2.0 and that's that's a really great way to describe it because of the entire life change that he's had over the last few years. Right. But it's a narrative I'm going to keep my eye on. So far, it's something I don't think is set in stone that this is what he is, but it is something that troubles me about his, you know, what he has shown so far through seven games at Texas, which again is a small sample size. Like it's seven and, you know, statistical significance starts at 30, Mm -hmm. but so far given his past as a head coach and his, what he has shown so far at Texas is at a certain point, he either outthinks himself or he gets out-schemed or he just gets out-toughed by other teams. And so far, we have seen all three of those happen in a season. And, you know, each one of them came with a loss. So, you know, it's just something It's something I'm going to keep my eye on about Steve Sarkeesian. I'm not saying, oh, he's a bad coach because this because of this. I'm saying I'm just going to keep my eye on this right now. It is something that I, I hope does not prove true. I'm again. I hope Texas succeeds. I really do. I hope Steve Sarkeesian is a freaking next Nick Saban. It would be amazing. But, but let me play party pooper to myself here. We've lost three games. These, you know, it, it's there's a trend. I'm gonna keep my eye on that. So, is there anything else that you've seen from Steve Sarkeesian that troubles you? Some of the hires this offseason were a little troublesome. Um, you know, we always hear about the blank check, blank check in Texas. Who knows if that's true? But you know, I would have liked to have seen some more heavy hitter recruiters, especially on the defensive side of the ball, specifically the defensive back field. Right, I, I agree on that. And it's a little weird yeah. that defensive position coaches were hired before the defensive coordinator was hired. I think they had they had an eye on a defensive coordinator that I'm not going to name just because I don't know how many people know the insides on that, but I think they had an eye on somebody and that somebody changed his mind on them. And so they had to go a different direction. And I think they made a couple of position hires with that initial guy in mind (laughs) and then Mm -hmm. had to change course. And I wonder if that is the reason we're seeing some disconnect between the different sides of the, of the ball and the different position groups is we have a defensive coordinator who likes to play this way. And while as a defensive, uh, you know, position group coach, you should be able to, you know, change your, your game plan. Yeah. You have in, to in the way. I mean, yeah. You right. You should be, but you have to change, you have to coach, you have to coach the way your DC wants things done. Right. And, but at the same time, you have to learn what the defensive coordinator, if you haven't worked with a guy where first you have to figure out how this guy works and you have to under figure out his scheme and the best way to teach that to your players. So it's just something that is new to them. They're gonna have to. They're probably gonna have to 
get used to because it's not it's the it's the danger of I didn't bring my own guys, right? Yeah, you, it's there. There's a pro and a con. Like I brought my own guys. Pros, they know how to coach this guy's system. Cons, they might not be the best guys out there. I didn't bring my guys. Pros, you can go out and get the best guys. Cons, they're gonna have to learn how to deal with this defensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator or whoever they're under. Like that's just, I mean that's that's business, right? That's any business, right? If I bring over all the coders from my decode, the coding department, they're all great people. They're all great coders. They're the best coders out there. But maybe I can go and get, I don't know, the, the top coder at App, Apple under my team, but I have to learn how to work with this guy, right? And I'm going to have to learn how to work in his system, or he's going to have to learn how to work in my system, and I'm going to have to learn his language, or he's going to have to learn the language that I'm using. And there's just going to be some time, some startup time, that is needed for things to click and they might not ever click. Yeah. I mean, if if, I'll say this, I mean, the full coaching staff was hired by, you know, mid to late January. It's been nine months. If Mm -hmm. they're still having issues from that respect, then yeah, they've got an, they've got an issue on the on the coaching staff uh, on the defensive side. If that's, you know, especially if that's the one you're, you're worried about, they've, they've got an issue on that side that needs to be addressed pretty quickly in the off season. If that's still an issue after nine months, um, you know, you're True. right that Pete didn't bring in any of his guys, but the guys that were brought in with the exception of one uh, were pretty solid coaches and known as pretty good recruiters. Um, so I, I don't, unless there's just some conflict going on, uh, I, I don't see why that should still be an issue. I do think that, you know, they're, that they're trying to – they are running a different scheme this year than they ran last year in the second half of the season when the defense started to improve. Um, and that may be an issue, but I, I don't know if that's a, a teaching issue as it is a learning issue. And this mm-hmm. comes back to the defensive talent that we have. And, and I, I, I really, the more I yeah. watch and the more I see it, the, I, re, I, I don't like to put things on players, especially at the college level. But when I look at it, I really think this is more a player issue than a coach issue. I, I, I would agree. Not, not that there aren't some scheme things that I, I have some, a few issues with, but I really do think this is more of a player issue. But I also think taking a different look at that, actually, you know, the guys that you saw have success last year, Alfred Collins, Keandre Coburn, uh, DeMarvin Overshown, guys like that, the guys who had success, it was a defensive system that fit more to what they want. It was something we were calling for a while. You know, a, a defensive line-centered system, right? Yep. This is a linebacker-centered system, and Pete Kukowski came in and literally had to go to the portal to to, to fill out a position group that he made that he had to make for his, he had to make for his defense. So like there's nobody in the program who fit what he wanted. That's why you have Luke Brockermeyer there right now. And that's why you have, uh, you had to go out and get Ray Thornton, Ovia Gufo guys like that also, because you also lost jo- Joseph Osai. You, Going back to the very beginning point of the show, you didn't recruit anybody to that position, right? And that—that's what goes back to the t- just the general talent issue, not right. so much. I mean, you're right that he had to go out and find some guys to try and fill spots because we simply didn't have them on the roster. Um, 
but that goes back to the general thing. You know, we saw flashes of Alfred Collins last year. I wouldn't, I mean, he, he flashed in spots, but I wouldn't say he had this, you know, huge season. Coburn, that's been a massive disappointment. There's no doubt about that. Right. And I'm saying that that's because the this defense is more linebacker-focused and having those guys do what we're going to see Baylor's defensive linemen do, which is be the space eaters, and you're here to serve the scheme. You're here to, to basically be... A, a role player instead of the defense is centered around you and the linebackers are the one who are causing the havoc and cleaning up the, the trash, right? That's, that's the difference here. And you don't have the linebacker talent on par that you do with the defensive line. And I put out a huge series of tweets about this. And a lot of it is just, you know, while you do get good outside linebackers in Texas, linebackers in general at Texas are not up to par at the high school level as a defensive line. When you're recruiting Texas, it you know you're, you're going to get good wide receivers, good corner safeties, cornerbacks, good quarterbacks. Uh, probably get some some years offensive line is a hit or miss. It sometimes it's like boom, it's great. Sometimes it's like there's a few players. In a lot of the years, there's like two or three good defensive linemen. Linebackers is like maybe you get one every cycle, like one that's just a. a Game changer, like Harold Perkins is for this cycle. Other than that, you know, you're basically going in and kind of a lot of guys who are going to need some work or going to, you know, they're going to be in your system or they're going to have to change positions. Right, exactly. You're going to have to kick a safety and like the Marvin Overshone. And that, and part of that's the proliferation of spread offenses, not only throughout the country, but especially in Texas. Right. So when you're taking the system that Quick P. Kwiatkowski has, which is a linebacker-focused system, and bringing it to Texas, there's going to be problems, right? There's Yeah, there's going to be an adjustment period. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if it's ever going to be fixed because unless P. Kwiatkowski changes something around on his side that focuses more on using the defensive line rather than the linebackers. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not P. Kwiatkowski. I'm not that close to the system. I have a, a different day job than playing around on the on the whiteboard with X's and O's. But, you know, from, from a bird's eye view, I can see the issue. I can figure out what probably is a good change here. And it's up to them to figure that out as well. Well, the track, the thing about Kwiatkowski's defense is they, they're going to have to find ways to make his system work as long as he's the defensive coordinator here. Because his track record says his system works. Mm-hmm. And works well. Yeah. And it hasn't worked this year because he doesn't have the players to run it. That mean Does that mean they'll have to recruit more nationally for certain positions? It may be. If it rankles the the hurt feet, if it rankles the egos of some Texas high school coaches, I mean, I hate to t- I hate to tell the hate to tell THSCA this, but you know, start Pound sand. St- well, start having more talented players in your system in your programs that play those positions you know because right now you're right linebacker talent in texas is just not very good overall consistently consistently because because so few linebackers are on the field these days it's it's just a it's a function of how the sport has evolved so they might have to go recruit nationally for more linebackers to bring into this system but the system itself when he has players to run it has proven that it works He's, it's just going to take time for him to get it together. And right now, Texas doesn't ha- doesn't have that talent. You know, I was talking earlier about 
injury issues. You go back to the Oklahoma game, I thought the Jacoby Jones injury was massive in that game. Because Jacoby Jones, while he's not a great edge pass rusher, he was maybe our best edge defender on the defensive line. In the run. Against the run. Because he was great at setting the edge, and he was also excellent at backside pursuit without over-pursuing. He was just very good at it. His injury in the first quarter of that Oklahoma game was huge. You go back to the Oklahoma State game, the DeMarvian Overshone injury was massive. Absolutely massive. He goes out in the first quarter with a concussion, and honestly, Texas, while guys like especially Jalen Ford had some flashes against Oklahoma State, we knew going into the season that if Brockermeyer or Overshone got hurt and had to miss, you know, got hurt early in a game or had to miss multiple games, Texas was in trouble at linebacker. And it really showed up in the second half of that football game against Oklahoma State. So you were without both Jacoby Jones and DeMarvian Overshone against a team that wants to run the ball as often as possible. Yeah, that's that's a major issue, and that's one of the reasons why Oklahoma State happened how it did. I think my main concern defensively, defensively is why it took five or six games for, you know, that's just covered Alfred Collins again. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the welcome to the show. We we constantly crap on <laughs> Keanu Coburn and call for Alfred Collins and Devondre Sweat. Yeah, but hopefully, you know, here in the last part of the season, he can force his will. But yeah, the players just have to play better. They're gonna have to be shown the door. That's just the way it's gonna have to be. Right, Klikowski's uh, not going anywhere for at least hopefully another two or three years. But <laughs> we're just gonna we're gonna change defensive coordinators year after year after year. Yeah, just, yeah, that's what we do now. So. What do we like so far right now about this team going going forward? What is it right now that you think should be the identity or is the identity of Texas going forward? And then on the opposite side, what I mean, we are we've been talking a little bit about it, but what needs to change for Texas to succeed in the second half? I like uh, you know not a big yards per game guy, but I like that we're 14th in the country right now in rushing yards per game. I mean, I think that's big i think that might surprise some people that think we're a little soft but uh you know i like uh i like run-based offenses and i think um going forward that's gonna be a plus take the pressure off the quarterback uh position um you know defensively i you know, just you know we just talked about collins i'd like to see him get out a little bit more we need some pressure on the defensive line we need some sacks i think uh, i looked at it last week i think we have 14 sacks for seven games and that's just not gonna cut it um you know, we need to up that pressure. We need to um, get after quarterback more because we got some good ones coming up, and it's going to be um, imperative that we, you know, take some pressure off the defensive backs as well. For me, defensively, which is where more of our issues lie, um, I, I want to see a change at, at safety. Uh, look to who? To, to uh, who? Well, at this I'll, point? I'll, I'll say this: I can't, uh, Brendan. Bottom line is Brendan Schooler is not getting the job done. Period. End of story. Let some other guys take a shot. Uh, if you need to, move Anthony Cook back to safety and let Dunn play some slot corner. Um, but you need to do something because Schooler is not is just not getting the job done, and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. I think B.J. Foster when he's allowed to do what he's best at, has been effective this year. Unfortunately, he's been put in situations having to do things that he never has been good at, uh, namely coverage. And, um, you know, he, he's a decent zone defender, and he's a good run support safety, but that's 
what he's good at, and that's all he's ever been good at. Um, so you need to not try and not put him in, in positions to where he can't succeed. Um, up front, I just want them to put the best for I, I know you got to rotate guys in to try and keep fresh bodies, but I want to see the most effective defensive lineman on the field as much as possible without wearing them out. Because Who are? It, 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 well, I mean, it's it's Sweat, it's Ojimo, it's Collins. I don't know what's been going up with with uh, Sorrell, but I'd like to see some more of him. Um, we've seen flashes from Byron some other Murphy. guys. Well, Byron Murphy's a guy you can work in, but I mean, I don't think he's consistently. I mean, you've seen flashes from him, but it hasn't been consistent. Um, been better than Keandre. <laughs> well, I agree with that, but you know, you you're, you can't just put Keandre Coburn on the bench either. Unfortunately, they don't have the depth to do that. And we have to cross our fingers and pray to God that Brock or Meyer and DeMarvian Overshone Overshone stay healthy. Um, (laughs) Because that's, you know, and the other thing I would do is if I'm Texas right now, look, I I dispense with three-man fronts unless it's a long yardage situation. I know that's a lot of what Kukowski likes to do, but I'm dispensing with three-man fronts until I have better guys to run my system because right now they just don't have it and the three-man fronts just don't seem to work for Texas right now. But uh, I would also go to more man coverage schemes so you can commit more bodies to the run Mm -hmm. Um, because I do think the guys they have at at the cornerback positions are solid man cover guys. Uh, Sometimes they play great, sometimes they they get beat, but, you know, I, I let them do what they can. I'm not playing too high safety anymore. I'm bringing, uh, I'm playing a single safety and going man coverage and trying to commit more buys to the run, especially this week against Baylor offensively. Um, with the injury to at the, with the, uh, injury to Jer- Jordan Winnington. Thank you. God brain fart. No worries. With the injury to I'm Jordan, here. with the injury to Jordan Whittington. And we saw this, come up last week and I think that's part of the reason the offense stalled it's a lot easier for defenses to defend our passing attack These the wide receivers we have on the bench have talent but they're inexperienced and unfortunately they're not badasses like like Xavier Worthy is we which, need to- which by the way did y'all see that chart of Xavier Worthy compared to other wide receivers in his class it's like there's like this big clump of wide receivers and then on like the top right, like the best wide receiver by far is Xavier Worthy. And then I asked the guy, I was like, can you put him around like every wide receiver? It's like, oh yeah, there's there's London, Carlisle from USC. <laughs> oh, where's Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave? Are oh, they towards the middle of the pack? Like he's, that's where Xavier Worthy is. He's been awesome. That's insane. But, he's been so, awesome. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Go no, ahead. No, it's great, but... I, if with the other wide receivers that are being forced to play more now, if they're not going to make more plays, then this is one of the things I think Sarkeesian needs to adjust to. And this is what I was disappointed in him against Oklahoma state. They, they have to find a way to get the tight ends more involved, more involved in the passing game. Number one, um, just because you're short of any kind of experienced playmaker. Number two, I am trying to use my running backs more in the passing game as well. And to me, that means getting 
Keelan Robinson in with Bijan and using Bijan as a receiver more, uh, more than they have been and a little bit less as a runner. Keelan Robinson, apparently, from what I've been told, just does not have very good hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he can do the little pop passes and things like that, but you don't want to really throw the ball to him, even on like a bubble screen. But Bijan Robinson is a, is very good as a wide receiver. A la Yeah, and you can use him. You can line him up in the slot. You can split him. You bring in two backs and have him shift out to the slot and have Keelan as your tailback. Get the running backs and the tight ends more involved in the passing game to take the pressure off the wide receivers and to give more options to uh, Casey. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, yeah, I think you hit. I think you hit on most of that. I'm, let's get to the. I can't say anything more. Sorry, let's go I've, to the next I've, thing. I've had long points here because I've been thinking about Texas football for two weeks and oh, yeah. just going through crap in my head. Nightmares. <laughs> can't can't fall asleep. I couldn't fall asleep after that Oklahoma game. I just did not fall asleep, and then I was like, "All right, I feel better going to Oklahoma State." I was like, "I'm kind of getting over this," and then, yeah. What do we want to see? in the second half of the season, like what defines success for this team? Like what is a, what is a realistic successful outcome for this team? Th- that is not the answer. Not what we saw the past two games. Wins. <laughs> wins. How many, like what, what is it beyond wins? Or I guess what is a, what is a win total that you're going to be like, yeah, I, I can deal with that. That's cool. Uh, I mean, I like to say four but I think it's probably going to be less than that. So, but yeah, if, if we get four wins the rest of the season, I'd be feeling pretty good about things. Yeah. If they finish four and one down the stretch, I, I absolutely agree that because you've got tough games, you've got at Baylor on Saturday, then you go to Iowa state. Um, and then, you, you know, Kansas then, state, then you have a couple of games you should, you should win even at West Virginia. Um, but then you finish up at home against K-State, who is, you know, they've been up and down, but they're still a solid football team. I, I think if Texas can go 4-1 and one down the stretch, then you can look at what happened against Oklahoma and OSU as, you know, kind of kind of a, a bump in the road. Um, because going 4-1 and one means you won either at Baylor or at Iowa State. You know, you had to win one of those two. And, you know, that would be fantastic. I mean, hell. You know, if you can win, if they, if they could somehow win both, and they're both winnable. Let's let's not say they aren't. If they could somehow win Saturday and next week, now your your momentum is back, and you're finishing mm-hmm. up with a schedule. You know, you you then you've got some momentum going, and really can finish strong. You know, the the narrative changes. It absolutely changes because I you know I realize Baylor is ranked and they're sitting here at six and one. But they're not a great football team. I mean, if you've watched them play, they're not a great football team. They're just not. They're they're. Let's say that after the game. <laughs> well, no, they're. I don't care if they beat Texas or not. They're not a great football team. They're a definitely improved, drastically improved over last year, and they're a solid football team. But they're not a great football team. Oklahoma State, same way. Oklahoma State is a solid football team, a good football team, but they're not a great football team by any stretch of the imagination. They just aren't. You know, and it, it, Texas Texas should have won that game two weeks ago. There's no question about that. Texas 
could have Texas can, should uh, be six and one. Well, you, alongside uh, Baylor, I, I'll say they could have, maybe should have won that game against Oklahoma as well. But in that OU game, you were playing against a more talented football team that just came on came on in the second half. So you I'll, were up twenty one points. You were, but you were up twenty one <laughs> points in the first quarter against one of the best offensive minds in the country. Sure, with a very talented offense and. You know, it, it's one of those games It was very crazy. But, you know, you absolutely could have, prob- probably should have. But Oklahoma State, they absolutely should have won that football game. Yeah, that that's what hurt. But speaking of Oklahoma, I didn't know I could be hurt during a bye week. But God damn it, Kansas. Anyways, next point. <laughs> uh, Baylor. Let's let's go ahead and talk about, about Baylor. Uh Let's start off with the offense here because Dave Aranda is the defensive coach, so we'll get to his side second. But the de- the offensive side of the ball has basically had a renaissance under Jeff Grimes and the offensive line coach he brought to ba- to Waco. I cannot remember his name, but it was sort of like the whole like Sterling Gilbert thing where bring on the offensive line coach. It's kind of sort of the the offensive coordinator's right hand man, uh, Kyle Flood, for example. Baylor last year was atrocious on offense. Their defense their offensive line gave up, I think, thirty one sacks. They were only allowed only able to average under three yards per rush. And their quarterback, I mean Charlie Brewer was just I mean, there's a reason he transferred. He you know, he didn't believe in Baylor anymore. Jeff Grimes is the biggest reason behind this renaissance. He brought in a new wide, a wider zone run, RPO, passing offense. Really relies heavily on the RPO, allowing them to take advantage of the speed that they have recruited on campus, as well as the seniority that they already had there. Yeah, he brought in the BYU offense. I mean, mm-hmm. if you watched Zach Wilson and BYU last year, and that run that they made, almost having an undefeated season, it's that offense. That yeah. helped Zach Wilson get drafted number two in the draft. I don't know how in the world, if you're BYU, you let that offensive coordinator go. Like, how? Especially now that they're going to be in the Big 12. <laughs> but, yeah, I, it's it's been quite the change for, for Baylor. And you've seen it with Jerry Bohannon. And Jerry Bohannon, who, you know, wasn't very – I mean – I remember him in high school wasn't very highly touted and it didn't look like he was going to be much coming out of Baylor, but at 6'3", 220 pounds, Grimes has basically been able to turn him around by featuring his mobility, uh, his physicality, and really just his legs at the right times. He's a good quarterback as a passer, but using the RPO has allowed Grimes to use Bohannon as sort of a guy who can threaten these guys and actually make uh, defenders second-guess themselves. Yeah, I think he has less than 150 yards rushing on the season, but he runs in the, in, in the uh, red zone. like he has half a dozen touchdowns somewhere around there. Um, going back to the offensive line, he said they gave up 31 last year. I think they've given up six this year. You know, it's a little depressing talking about our offensive line and – Talent issues and everything, but we're better than we have better talent there than Baylor, and they seem to be getting the job done with uh, less talent. I mean, they brought in a couple of guys yeah. from the portal, but yeah. they, you know, 
I was going to say they did something that Texas didn't do, which is bolster their offense. Yeah, I was going to say. Find, they, find the reinforcements. To bolster that, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, Texas offensive line, I mean, <laughs> it speaks to the lack of talent that Tom Herman left Steve Sarkeesian on the offensive line when they pretty much had no option but to start Denzel Okafor at, at left guard this season. Um, you know, I mean, that 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 says it all, really. Um, a super senior just, who had no pro yeah, prospects. Yeah, yeah. There, there was just a. I mean, that is the one thing Tom Herman, the last, especially the last couple of years of his program, the offensive line recruiting was putrid, and we are seeing the results of that now. So, actually, I think Baylor does have more offensive line talent than Texas when you factor in who they brought in transfer wise. But no, what they what this offense is doing for Baylor. You talk about Bohannon. What this offense is doing for Bohannon is it's covering up his weaknesses mm-hmm. and hiding them because they brought in this RPO zone read heavy scheme and they are running the ball like madmen and throwing when they want to, not throwing when they have to. And so he, you know, Bohannon doesn't have to throw the ball very often. When he does, it's in a situ, it's in a very advantageous advantageous situation for him, which is why they've had a lot of big plays in the passing game. Uh, he's also done a good job of, of taking care of the ball. He's only got one interception this year, um, but it's that running game is which is why Baylor's offense is so successful. I mean, Abram Smith and, and Tristan Ebner have been phenomenal this year behind that offensive line, and you know we'll, we've talked about how. We wish Texas would run more inside zone or outside zone in the running game. Well, Baylor's going to run a whole lot of it on oh, Saturday, yeah. and they're mm-hmm. going to run it again and again and again, and they are not going to stop running it. Uh, Texas needs to find a way to slow that down because we've seen this year in the one game they lost, if you slow down their running game, you slowed, if you slow down or shut down their running game, you shut down their offense. Because that's what Oklahoma State did. They absolutely they gave up one big carry to uh, to I think it was Abram Smith who busted off a 55 yard run in that ball game. The rest of the game, they were almost completely shut down in their running attack, and the Baylor offense as a result couldn't do much. Bohannon had to throw in long yardage situations, and he struggled doing it because he's not a guy who is good at reading the field and having to go through multiple options. And when you pressure him, he makes mistakes. Now, it didn't didn't result in turnovers on that day, but it resulted in three sacks for that Oklahoma State defense, and they just couldn't move the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's crazy to think that Abram Smith was a linebacker last year. He was a linebacker last year. And now he's the second highest rated running back by pro football focus behind – B. John Robinson. And then Tristan Ebner, again, I talked about how Baylor recruited speed, right, and just waited for them to grow up. Uh, and that's kind of what Matt Rule did. He was great at that. And everybody else behind Matt Rule is now wreaking the benefits, and Aranda's actually kind of built upon that. Uh, Tristan Ebner's another one of those guys, like a, a speedster who is just, it's kind of just grown into it. And he already he has f- almost 500 yards. Abram has 785 uh, and 10 touchdowns. Those two are a great one, two punch. And, but it's not really like the thunder or lightning. It's more like lightning and lightning. 
basically. Yeah, and uh, Edmer has uh, what? four return touchdowns as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was it Ebner that had the return against Iowa State that essentially kept them in that ball game? And yeah, they're only the main reason they their only touchdown in the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, I mean, that front that the center of that team is sort of the reason that they are so good. It's that is that ability to run game, having the two runners in the backfield. Both of them very dangerous, even though one is not used as much. He's, he's a threat and that, that people have to respect. And off of that, you're able to get the ball out to guys like Tyquan Thor- Thornton, who this year has just been killing it. He is, I believe, 6'4", uh, about 190, 180, somewhere in that range. And he's... I, I mean, when you watch him, he doesn't look like he's running that fast, but he's one of those guys who is able to just find his way open downfield. He's that deep threat uh, guy who you'll see like later on. And I believe he is averaging, uh, what is it, 18, 19, 20, 20 yards per catch. So I'm seeing 17 he's killing here, it. but still, that's still 17? a lot. <laughs> yeah. Regardless. He's a deep threat. And when you're able to somebody everybody's starting to come up, right? Everybody all your linebackers starting to come up, your safety's starting to come up. They hit Tyquan Thornton downfield. When they need ten yards real fast or they need some reliable hands, they throw it off to another guy we've heard, RJ Sneed. Uh, another guy who they've kind of sat on. He wasn't great when he came in, but they had they were able to recruit well enough that they got RJ Sneed in and got him time to grow. And now he's a reliable hand. Uh, we saw him last year. He was probably their best wide receiver. So they've got some weapons all over the field here. And it's uh, Jacob. I'm, I'm interested to see if they do what you were talking about, which is let's get like maybe one, two guys on Tyquan Thornton, one guy on RJ Sneed, and then deal with Abram Smith. Well, I mean, I, I just think they have, I think Texas has to commit to stopping the run. And I, I think for this game on Saturday, you know, this is one of the Kwiatkowski adjustment he's going to have to make. He's going to have to get out of his two high safety looks and commit to more guys on the run because I, I don't think you're going to see Baylor come out and change, try and, and come out and change philosophy coming out of a bye week, come out and try and throw the ball. Because why would you if you're Baylor? Texas has had major issues stopping the run in their in multiple ball games this year, why would you come out and try and throw the ball with a quarterback who his strength is not dropping back and reading the field? You know, his thing is play action, you know, RPOs or straight play action where it's one, two reads, and that's it. So I, I really would, I would, I mean, what I would have been doing the last two weeks is I would have been like, look, guys, we're going to go to a lot more man defense this week. And it's going to be up to my cornerbacks to stay with these wide receivers. And we're going to try and bring pressure, not only to stop the run, but to get to Bohannon and try and have him make some mistakes and see if you can force some turnovers, slow down their run game. Texas play sooner ball, which is instead of giving up the big play, you see if they'll throw a flag. You know, well, I mean, when you look at the first half of the Texas game or the, the Oklahoma game and the Oklahoma State game, the defense was slowing down and doing a good job of slowing down the running attacks of both those teams in the first half. 
and they were putting pressure on the quarterback in the first half of those two games. They got worn down in the second half, one, because of key injuries in both games, and two, because the offense couldn't keep possession and stay on the field. And if, if you know, if Sarkeesian can make his adjustments and his offenses cannot can quit crapping out in the third, fourth quarter of ball games and not have the defense on the field for so long, I think you will see the success continue more. And, you know, like I said, Overshone's back this week, which is great. Um, they, they, we need to see some more from guys like Ben Davis and Agofu uh, in run support. But I, like I said, I would go with the single high safety, and I'm bringing guys like B.J. Foster in to down into the box to help stop that running attack and then and blitz the quarterback. Matt, what do you think? Matt, what do you think is the biggest key for the defense to stop this offense? I think Jacob said it. Just you know, they had to. They have to change defensive schemes to stop the run. You know. The, it was really disappointing when they came out in Arkansas. And it's like they hadn't seen an Arkansas game table, you know, from all off season. It's just you had to stop the run. You had to let make Buchanan beat you, and or Bohannon beat you. Sorry, um, which they did in the first half for the most part, right? But then again, got worn down in the second half, right? Right. And they had to play complimentary football. You know, they have to be able to run the ball, and they have to stop the run. I keep seeing. I think the over-under is 62, 62 and a half. I keep seeing people say, oh, it's going over, over, over. I think this is going to be an under game. I think you know, Texas and Baylor recently um, been very low-scoring games. I think you'll probably see another one because I think you're exactly right. Baylor's going to be content to come out and run the ball. So let's say I looked at Dave Aranda's side here. Dave Aranda, coming from LSU, runs a pretty similar concept to what we see here at Texas. They throw three down linemen up front and have them, you know, the classic serve the scheme mentality of this is your role. You're going to work inside the scheme and you're going to let you're, you're not going to be the star of the show, but you're going to be the most important part. You're going to be the guys who eat the space. Your guys going to be the ones who clog the holes and you're going to be the ones who basically set the line that allows our linebackers and our safeties to come in, cause the havoc, and do the cleaning up. And boy, do they have linebackers and safety this year. It is insane the amount of linebackers and safeties they have this year. And again, it goes back to what I was saying, which is they recruited all the speed and then waited for it to grow up. Uh, I mean, if I kind of want to start with the safeties here because, and the defensive backs, in fact, because they have five seniors and all of them were either track stars or some of the fastest guys out there. I mean, Morgan Christian, who is one of their safeties, he broke a record at the opening. He's like the highest spark score, but nobody wanted him because he was so raw. And he wasn't great his freshman year. He wasn't great his sophomore year. He was okay his junior year. He's good this year. And he has that speed still. JT Woods played alongside Caden Stearns at Ciblo Steel. Track star. Wasn't polished. Wasn't great his freshman year. I think he was trying to between cornerback and safety. They really didn't know what he was. Now he's a safety. He's so fast. They're able to cut the cut the field in half. Jalen Petrie is phenomenal. I mean, they are loaded. They they're loaded with guys who weren't ready made out of high school, and they just sat on them. And now the eggs are hatching on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, but you know, the Baylor defense, honestly. I think is benefiting from what their offense has been doing from a possession 
standpoint and you know just being able to keep the ball their defense is not any kind any remotely any kind of a shutdown defense uh, when you look at the three toughest teams they've played uh, it's Iowa State it's Oklahoma State and it's BYU um, <laughs> Oklahoma State scored 24 points despite three interceptions from Spencer Sanders and that was basically because they were able to they were able to run the ball at Baylor they had over 200 yards rushing as a team and that helped kind of overcome a really poor game from Spencer Sanders throwing the ball. Brees Hall had almost 200 yards rushing himself in when they played Iowa State in Waco, and Purdy threw for 263 yards. You know, now the BYU game was a little different. They did slow down Tyler Algier from BYU, which is impressive, uh, and they got a big lead kind of early on BYU, so BYU got away from their run game and started throwing the ball more, but, you know, Jaron Hall still threw for 342 yards in that ball game, and they put up 24 points. You know they're not a they're not a defense this year that's been shutting you down. What they do is they try to force you into mistakes and force turnovers by bringing pressure. But you can't. Their defense can be had. There's no question about that. If you're an S and P Plus guy, which is Bill Connolly's rating, Baylor is the 16th best defense in the nation. Their offense is the 52nd, whereas Texas is the 10th best offense in the nation and the 57th best defense in the nation. So I, I take those rankings with a grain of salt, but that's me. <laughs> of course. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a predictive ranking. The advanced stats like this Baylor defense. And again, it goes back to, I don't think anybody could watch that defense and think they're the 16th best defense in the country. No, I mean, they, they can get beat deep. They can get beat deep and they and can get run on. They can get run on. Right. But I mean, they have the seniority Riley Tejada and Kalen Bards at those corners. We've seen them there forever. They are still, they are very good. Uh, cornerbacks and then Terrell Bernard again this defense relies on the safeties and the linebackers to be good we already talked about the three safeties look at let's look at Terrell Bernard the uh was it was he the first team big 12 last year I believe I believe uh, was, yeah. well if he's not he has he's he's going that way and all-american this year like that guy is really 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 good the Terrell Bernard might be the best linebacker in this in the big 12 and, you know, we just played against one of the best guys with um, Malcolm Rodriguez at Oklahoma State. Iowa State always has a few guys. Terrell Bernard is a guy who makes things happen. He's the guy who makes the chaos happen, and he's the reason that this defense has actually been pretty good. Uh, again, the defensive line eats the space. It allows the linebackers to do the blitzing. Terrell Bernard has been used a lot in the blitzes. He's got three sacks, three and a half tackles for losses, and he's just a fantastic guy at getting pressure on the quarterback or stopping the run. He's a that, and that's what he's asked to do. And then you have next to him a guy who, again, a common theme. They went out and got the portal to you know kind of build around the talent they already have. Dylan Doyle from Iowa, who is like Luke Brockermeyer, but actually pretty decently athletic for the league and, and sort of already up to speed. So. You've got some really good pieces at the key spots that they needed it. And then I talked about when we had Drew Kelson. Texas doesn't have the the backbone. They don't have the the center piece that is sort of so important for defenses. That's what Baylor has. Baylor has that. They have a strong guy up front, the 350-pound nose tackle of Siaka Ika, I believe is his name. Yes. Uh, Siaki or Saki Ika or Siaki Ika, yeah. You're right. They have that big 
defensive tackle slash nose guard who is not only big and strong, he's Pacific Islander. Shocking. Um, right. And then they have behind him, Dylan Doyle, Terrell Bernard, and then behind those two guys, JT Woods and Christian Morgan. So they have a very solid center of that defense. And when every offense is going to run first, you need that, and they have it. Their defense is playing like Kwiatkowski, more a lot more like Kwiatkowski wishes his defense played. Exactly. This is Texas fans. You want to see what Pete Kwiatkowski's defense could be? Go watch Baylor film against other teams. I don't know what they'll do against Texas, and I might, you know, eat my words if Texas destroys them, or I might be showing my point if they destroy Texas. But that's what Pete Kwiatkowski wants his defenses to look like. Yeah, my concern with them is they have yet to face that dynamic dynamic offense. Um, like Iowa State, going back to the SP, SP Plus rankings, I think they're the highest offense they faced this year, and they're 20, and I don't think anybody thinks that Iowa State has a very dynamic <laughs> offense outside of Brees Hall. Um, but, you know, the results have been good. They're, most of the points they've given up all year is 29. I wish Texas could say that, certainly. Um, <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, we'll see how they face against Texas. Um, so what are y'all's keys to the game for Texas against this defense? How does Texas attack this defense? Uh, what is the you know what is the position group or the thing that you want to see succeed in this game for Texas to win? Or if it doesn't, they'll lose. I mean, obviously, the offensive line, right? I think Bijan has to be Bijan. It is 140-plus mm-hmm. or whatever. And then half the de- half the offense, yeah. of course. And then the, the obligatory half the offense. And then they have to stretch the field, which they didn't do against Oklahoma State. I think they had one pass over thirty yards or whatever. So it, yeah, they have to stretch the field against Baylor. I mean, it, it does start up front with the offensive line and how they play. Um, if they play like they did in the first half against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, they'll be good. Um, Otherwise, they're going to have issues. But as far as the skill positions go, you know, I expect Bijan to be Bijan. Um, I want to see some different things schematically from uh, Sarkeesian getting Keelan Robinson more involved in the football game, um, getting the tight ends more involved. But a, a and we we finally have the last couple of games, or at least we saw it against OU. We've had some Josh Moore sightings. Somebody beside with with Whittington out. Somebody besides Xavier Worthy has to make plays in the receiving game. Marcus Washington has come close a couple of times. You know, one time he didn't get his foot down. Another time he kind of lost his balance, you know. But I see him I see him progressing, but it's time for him to start making some plays. And, you know, if, if somebody besides Worthy can't get open and make some catches on offense, they're in some deep shit. Because Marcus, Marcus Washington is that type of player that Baylor has where yep. it's like he's not going to be good until like his fourth year well. where usually Texas fans <laughs> would have looked at them after their first year and they're, oh, they're not great. Who's the next guy up recruit over him. Yeah. I, I need somebody in the wide receiver core has to step up and start making some plays. I don't care who it is, but somebody needs to, because Whittington, honestly, the last few weeks until he, you know, the few weeks until he got hurt had become kind of a security blanket for uh, Casey and that mm-hmm. security blanket is gone, and he's not coming back this year until maybe late November. So 
somebody's got to step up and start making some plays. And I don't care if it's a tight end. It could be Jared Wiley. It could be Brewer on some, you know, relief valve passes. I don't care. But somebody has to make some plays in the passing game and start getting open. And some of this is going to be un-Sarkeesian. I, I, the more I've, I've thought about the offense the last couple of weeks, the more I've just been like, man, with Whittington out, I'd love to see Bijan get used as a receiver almost as much as a runner and give some actual carries to guys like a uh, guys like a Keelan Robinson who we know is a game breaker as well and just to get be, mm-hmm. keep Bijan involved but put him in different spots to where the defense is like oh wait he's lining up over here it, you know like once every three plays he's moving out in the slot and they're actually using him you know let's I, I want to see that creativity and I want to see him continue to do preset pre-snap motion and pre-snap shifting to try and make the defense give away what they're doing because that is that has really been a, a huge help uh, for Casey, I think, especially at quarterback. Yeah, I I, I would have to agree. Um, it's it's interesting. I uh, your tight end point. I would take a you know we've been talking about Lincoln Riley and Steve Sarkeesian, sort of the, the parallels there. Take a page out of Lincoln Riley's book when it comes to the tight ends. Use your tight. I mean, it's he has guys like Austin Stogner and Mark Andrews who are also great blockers, and you have Jared Wiley who is a great guy in you know in catching the ball, and then you have um, I wanted to say Andrew Beck, um, <laughs> Kate Brewer who is who is great as a blocker, and so you kind of have to balance those two. But I would use Jared Wiley. I would I would try to use him in his ability to catch as sort of that second threat. He's a threat to catch it over the middle. So use that as a guy who's going to make the, the linebackers second guess themselves. And maybe that's how you use use him as a quote-unquote blocker. Mm-hmm. You know, you're at to figure out something, again, with your tight ends, as you were saying. You know, come out in 12 personnel, line him up in a two-tight end set, then have it shift and split out, you know, because the defense will adjust to your personnel. If you, they see you with two tight ends, they may adjust personnel-wise. Then you split him out, try and see if you can scheme him into a uh, an advantage in a, in, from a coverage standpoint because we all know that Jared, he's very athletic, but he is – garbage as a blocker and you don't yeah. want <laughs> you don't want to have him blocking very often but take advantage of the skills he has well maybe he's a good blocker on the outside too so while he's been criminally underused and uh, at this point on our second straight coaching staff that just loves to put Kate Brewer out wide and not throw to him so right yeah I mean, yeah you could use Wiley as a, as a blocker on the outside with Keelan Robinson coming across like... I mean Wiley was hurt the first couple of weeks of the season that's part of it I think but yeah, I, they need to get him more involved in the offense somehow just because Whittington's not there. You've got right. to find ways to get other guys involved in the offense. Right. And also, hopefully, Jake Majors doesn't go down. And do we see our first sighting of that five-star tight end this week? Or? Uh, Gunnar Helm? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, other, the other tight end that they got in that class? The you, you know, five-star class tight end? Didn't need tight ends? Who, who's not really a tight end. He's just moved to tight end because he wants to play offense and doesn't want to play defense. Yeah. Don't yeah, get that, me, that one. Don't get me that started. Oh. All right, guys. <sighs> Thank y'all for hanging out with us. Thank you for hanging out with us, Matt. That was, that was nice to have you on and uh, a treat to get to meet you in person. This is, Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I, I know it's hard. I know we, we all like act like we we've been knowing each other for, for 70 years now, but it's, if it's, you guys can't believe I'm not 70 years old. 
you know, it's a surprise. I'm not that uh, old. Leave me alone. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. Where can we find you on the social media? On you know anything you want to you want to any cool project you're working on? Oh. Anything cool? No, uh, Twitter. Does, it doesn't have to be football related. Twitter is Matt underscore Craig and uh, Barking Carnival. Each week nice. during football season. Yeah, and um, you know before we get into the end here, want to give a shout out to our patrons here, uh, Cole C and Brittany M, the two guys uh, and girls, the two people. Guys, is guys is guys gender neutral enough? Can I can I say that like Yenzes or y'all? The two humans who who identify however they choose to. There we go. That one. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we don't we don't know if they're human. I've never met them. We don't know if they're human. Hey, if they they, could, if they, they could be anything. They could be. Maybe they identify as Android. I'm not really certain. That's up to them. Uh, I, that's their uh, choice. I, I identify as Apple. So. <laughs> Uh, Cole, Cole C and Brittany M. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. It really is a big, it's the reason we have a show this week <laughs> to put it, to put it another way. So thank y'all for supporting us. Thank you for everybody who is listening for supporting us. This has been fourth and five year Longhorn nation podcast. Uh, Jason or who's Jason. Who's not here. Where can we find him? Uh, know the game 60. K N O W at know the game 60. On, on Twitter. Twitter, and then uh, Jacob, yeah, that that's the one. Jacob, where where can we find you? At Kips underscore Big underscore Boy on the Twits. And you guys can find me, your host Will Bazer, on Twitter at W I L L B A I Z E R. My name. Thank you all for listening, and we will see y'all next week. Hook them. Hook them. Oh, join us on Discord too. Hook them. Hook them. <laughs>